Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. All right, so remember the spring of 2020 when you walked into the store to discover empty shelves? Maybe you wondered what was going on. Or maybe you got into construction like, like we have and you can't get stuff. Or you're trying to get appliances, you can't get stuff or people won't show up. And our guest today knew exactly what was happening and why. And we're going to ask him because he was a, he's a supply chain expert. He's also a syndicator. So today's podcast is going to be super interesting for behind the scenes look of what's, what went on and what we think is going to happen. Before we get to that, I want to give you a shout out to Fernando from New Jersey who left us an iTunes review for the podcast. He says, fantastic podcast. So glad I found it. Michael Blanc and Gary Lynch do a really good job interviewing their guests and getting useful info from them. I highly recommend it. Also want to give a shout out to our first dealmaker, Brock Mergist and Michael Keller. They closed on a 384 unit deal in Daytona, Florida for 43 million and they raised 12.2. And he was mentored by Jeremy Lemire. I think this is the second one we shouted out last year, Jeremy, good job. The bottom line is our students are still doing deals and they have been doing deals in a variety of different markets and so can you. So check out our mentoring program. It gives you access to basically a, a full-time syndicators who have thousands of units under management. Check it out at themichaelblanc.com forward slash mentor and schedule a call and see if that's right for you. If you enjoyed the show, do me a favor and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Now, we, we do our best to provide you with a lot of value. And if you think it's been worth it, please give us a review because iTunes then shows us, shows more people the show and we feel like we can help people come financial free with real estate. So if you're in a position to do that, that would be awesome. Yeah, one of the things I want to talk about is, man, over the last 24 months, especially since, since COVID, the market has been all over the place. It was hot. Then COVID hit and it came to a screeching halt. And all of a sudden, prices are back. Now, all of a sudden, they're down. Like, it's been crazy. And meanwhile, while this is going on, people are still doing deals. And so have we. But give us some examples of how we had to adapt to the market to either, of course, not do deals, but also to get deals done. What are some? And, and we're going to talk about construction costs today as well. So maybe, maybe let's start talking about there when our cost of construction went up and our timelines expanded, what are some of the things we did to, to adjust to that? Yeah. So on the deal side, it just depends on kind of where you're at as, as a company. And, and so there were, there were some deals we, we looked at, we're like, Hey, we, we could get a couple of wins here. Let's try Let's try to take it out and, and see what we can get. And as time has gone on, interest rates have gone up further. We've had to adjust our pricing expectations to kind of meet the market. And realistically, it has come off, but it's like, does it make sense? Do you sit on some of these? Do you sell a couple? Do you hold? I mean, it's all it's all speculation based on where you're at with with your assets and, and what you feel comfortable with. I think that there's dual tracking, both getting term sheets on debt and then also seeing what someone would pay is a really healthy option to put yourself in the best position. So if something falls apart, you got a backup and vice versa. And so with regards to the actual construction side. The other issue that we've seen or we've had is costs of construction went up. And so you can't spend the same amount of dollars and get the product that you need on the renovation side. And 
with that, what you have to do is lower your scope and try to hit the rents with a lower scope. And in doing that, we found because inflation rose so much, a lot of our initial projections on the rent side could be met with lower scopes. And that was one way that we were able to pivot around some of these issues. And then on the lease tradeouts, just get a higher dollar amount. Yeah, the point is this, the market changes and you have to adjust your underwriting when that happens. So when COVID happens, we had to underwrite reserves that weren't there there before. Now we're underwriting, for example, lower LTV or maybe fixed debt versus variable rate debt. Like you just have to adapt to your underwriting and do the best that you can to get yourself into deals. And I think that's the key to successful investing is to be flexible. If the strategy still works in the market you're in, which it does, then how can you get into the deal? How can you protect yourself from what might be coming? And you do that by being conservative in your underwriting. And so we just see that over and over again in in these deals. So today we have a conversation with Jeff Davis and What's cool about him is he's a logistical expert, works with large international companies, has insight into the behind the scenes of what's been going on with a lot of these logistics and supply chain issues. But he's also a syndicator. He currently owns just nearly about a thousand units. So his perspective from not just a supply chain perspective, but the impact on multifamily is awesome. So let's get right into the conversation here with Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much. What an honor. So you're not only a syndicator, you own nearly a thousand units yourself, but you're actually a logistical supply chain expert. Tell us a little bit about your professional background, and then we'll get into kind of your syndication background. Absolutely. I'm born and raised in New Orleans. So I was married in June of 05. Hurricane Katrina hit in October of that year. And so from there, we moved into Houston, Texas, and I just went door to door looking for a job. And that's how I got into the logistics business. I got into a desk level, just data entry job. And I learned the business from the ground up to now. I really liked working with customers and figuring out problems and solving problems. And now that's what I do. I just, on a little bit bigger scale, I help customers all over the world solve those problems. And I'm sure you've got your hands full. Why did you get started with real estate? And, and what did that look like in the, in the early days? What was your strategy? My strategy in the early days, or the, my why, was to have some consistent income, right? I was in a sales role. I had a growing family. And sales, just like the economy, has ups and downs because of business cycles. And what I did know, what I learned, was that having some rental income would provide some stability for my family. And what that looked like was when I moved, we saved up enough money to have a down payment and keep our house that we purchased. And we turned that into a rental. And I really liked that. So then I bought another rental and another one. I got into wholesaling and flipping. And I just got into a whole lot of single family activities as a side hustle, I guess. Yeah, that's always how it starts. And at one point, mm-hmm. did you pivot? And why did you pivot into multifamily? Because it was an ever-growing side hustle, and I could not scale. And so last year, obviously, was just a banner year for real estate. And everything that we touched seemed to have the Midas touch, right? And I was just coming home at one o'clock in the morning after dealing with subcontractors and, and managing all that. And after every single project, I was starting from ground zero. But I was watching one of my lenders is a syndicator. And I called him up one day and said, I'm doing something different, obviously. You know, this is good. 
But you guys just keep building on your portfolio and it keeps getting better. And so we went and we had lunch after I handed him his hard money loan back after closing a deal. And and he said, you know, this is why this is the difference. And and so from there, I hung up the hat on single family and, and put it all into multifamily. That's interesting. And it's very common that most people, many people get started in single family house investing because that's what everybody talks about in the books and the meetups and, you know, and, and TV is, as well. And it's, it's, it's cool that you're able to pivot like that. And, and most people will then pivot because for the same reason you just said, you can't scale. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you've kind of created a rat race a little bit. So how did you get into then the syndication world? Like what were your steps and how did you finally get in? You're like, oh, I got to change. But then what did you actually do to get into that? Education, right? You, you surround yourself with like-minded individuals. And I got into a group with the education to learn what this is, how to underwrite deals, how to source deals, how to fund deals. And we together have, it's been a great community. And so I just followed the lead of, of my hard money lender at that time, who was a good friend. And I joined the same community as they, as they were in. It's so important is education and community, right? Those Absolutely. are the, really the, t- the two things that will get you in. And also when you do that, I found that your entire perspective changes when you get into a, whatever community is and you see these people and the things they've accomplished and they don't see much different than you. If this guy can do it, this guy can do it. I can probably do it. And it just gives you a lot of, lot of confidence. Mindset. And so you, yeah, mindset, that's a big thing. And then, so you, you started doing deals, you started raising money. Talk a little bit about that. Yep. So I was very quick to invest as a limited partner and I'm still investing. You know, I have a self-directed IRA that I will invest as a limited partner on multifamily deals. But I began to see and and all the activity in this community, it's inspiring. It is truly inspiring. It just makes you want to do more. And so I knew that with my sales background and my interaction with people in all sorts of business that maybe raising capital and syndicating deals was a good avenue for myself to get into multifamily. Now, so I want to know, because you have this unique perspective, is that we all know in the syndication business or construction business, we've had major issues. In fact, arguably, you could argue that the problem with COVID wasn't rents or even eviction moratorium or anything like that. It was really related around an inability to turn units on time and on budget. And it was really related to inflation and price run up. It was related to not getting certain supplies. It was related to people not showing up for work. And and you have a very unique behind the scenes look at maybe what's been happening behind the scenes. Can you try to explain kind of what happened since COVID and why we're seeing what we're seeing right now? Perfect. You started with the end. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. And I will start from the beginning. So that's where I operate is in that global logistics. And, and so what happened was COVID, right? The U.S. announces a 14-day shutdown. What that meant was the U.S. consumer could no longer spend dollars on what they're normally spending dollars on. What do we normally spend dollars on? Travel, right? Restaurants, concerts, all of these things that we're normally spending dollars on. Well, they now got consolidated and we could only spend dollars on 
consumer goods such as Amazon and Lowe's and Walmart. And so this drove that demand to sky high levels. And I would venture to say that 90% of those products are made overseas in China and Southeast Asia, which are moved primarily by boat. And so all of the product on the shelves throughout the distribution channels were quickly depleted and the demand for those products shot up and the ocean vessels did not stop moving. But what did stop was the labor at the ports. So there was mm. a slowdown there. And this created this massive backlog at all of the ports. And why would the labor stop? Was it due to literally the health-related aspects of COVID? Well, there was a shutdown, right? So everybody had to stay right. home. While they did not stop, the shift work became safety-focused, right? Safety of the employee first. So they had these odd shifts and only so many people in a certain area at a time. So while you could unload a vessel in 90 to 120 minutes, this began to be a two to three day time period. And, and so the vessel turns really slowed down at every port. So this just went on from March to mid of last year. And then what happens when a demand for a product really increases? Well, that product price skyrockets. And then my business is the transportation of that product. And I will I will use real life scenarios of money for my entire career, almost two decades now, the price for a container from Shanghai to Houston, Texas has been around $3,000 to $4,500 any given season. The containers that we're talking about have gone up to $28,000. Oh, wow. So put yourself in the, in the shoes of a, of a business owner who has an annual budget of $500,000 just as a bottom line item, right? Before net or operating income, $500,000 for transportation. Well, that is now anywhere from 2.5 to $6 million. And the challenge with that is that the price their goods had adjusted to reflect recouping that money yet. Not until Q2 of this year. Before you go there, the one thing I don't quite understand, I understand the demand outstripped supply and it was exasperated by, by COVID. But what I don't understand, you know, you know, nine months, 12 months, once we were back from lockup, why were not people not going back to work? Why didn't, that, in other words, why didn't it normalize to what it was before? Is it because the supply was so sky high? Is it a combination of people not going back to work or why did that, why did that not go back to what was more normal? Well, you'd have to, be a little bit more specific about industry, right? Because I know that where we're at here in Houston, I, I think that the restaurant industry is still having trouble. And aside from that, it has to do with pay, you know? So from a labor perspective, it's it's more aligned with pay. Let's do logistics. Like the example you just you just talked about, right? So yeah, the container yeah. went from 4,000 to 28,000. Why in the world is it still this high? Why didn't it go back to $4,000 when everybody came back? And theoretically, things normalized, but they didn't. Yep. So let's go back to Q2 of this year. Those containers were still moving at that level. Companies are still paying this amount of freight. And the reason is they want that product on the shelves to sell to the consumer. When did inflation become a news item? Inflation became a news item around May, June, 
that's when demand stopped. And I will tell you that May container prices were this high. June, they dropped 50%. So I was beginning to predictions that we would be at pre-COVID levels by November. As of today, we're below $6,000. So mm-hmm. you made the, a fantastic point is why haven't they? It takes a little bit of time, but those prices are catering right now. And it's peak season. This is normally a time where prices are rising because these retailers have to get prices, their their inventory on the shelves for what? Black Friday. Product's already there. Yeah. So why does it feel like, at least on on the construction side, that there's hasn't really been like a reset on that side? I don't know if it's if it's labor. It seems like materials should be Mm -hmm. coming back down. But it, I haven't seen any yeah. relief yet, at least on, no. on the, the increase around any kind of construction project. And so why, why is that? Because you're going to look at about a six to 12 month lag before these prices hit all the way through the distribution channels, right? All the way through last year, while these transportation costs were being burdened on the business owner and the businesses and not passed through. Now, all of that inventory is absorbing those costs, those increased labor costs overseas, the increased transportation costs, the delays. That's what's sitting here in the distribution channels. Well, now as the prices come down, we're going to have another six to 12 month lag before it flushes out and flushes through. So you should start to see that in about six to 12 months. So you're thinking that on a supply chain, at least, it will go back to pre-COVID levels. Is that what you're what you're predicting? On logistics, we're seeing that trend down in the next month or two. Yes. So then your only cost is going to be, I mean, that's still going to probably stay up on the construction side. You got materials and you got labor. Labor is probably not going to decrease. It might, but there's still the inflation demands on, on people to, you know, they have to spend more for things. So in general, so... And people are used to making more on the labor side, potentially. We've had issues on both the labor and the material side. But I'm just yeah. curious, what, what's your take on, on that side of it? You look at the double whammy effect of what's happening between the market dynamics of supply chain and it just working itself out, right? The kinks working itself out. And then the Fed going so aggressive, rising the interest rates. They are not shy about it telling everybody they're going to do it again before the end of the year. And so we're really, the Fed is, Jerome Powell's really attacking the interest to slow down that. And he was very outspoken about the fact that while people are enjoying these higher wages, there's going to be layoffs to be to be felt. And I think that's to deal, that will deal with that wage issue that you're speaking about. If you're interested in passively investing in multifamily syndications, we'd love to hear from you. Go to nighthawkequity.com, click the join button and join our investment club. Fill out a short form and then you can have a call with us and we'd be happy to share with you some of our upcoming investment opportunities we have. That's nighthawkequity.com. Talk to you soon. So higher interest rates, I mean, obviously it, it affects real estate, affects your mortgage, your debt service, things of that nature. But how do you think higher these higher interest rates are going to affect the supply chain uh, that we're talking about here? Is that going to create issues or are you still going to normalize itself out? Yeah, capacity eases congestion. 
one of the the big problems with this supply chain issue was um, the amount of congestion at your major ports, such as Long Beach and New York. And right now in Charleston and Savannah, they're experiencing some congestion. So as demand decreases, the congestion is going to open up. And so these supply chain issues will, again, that's going to facilitate the ease of, of some of these burdens. And this is kind of what the, what the Fed wants to do. Their idea is that they're going to drive up interest rates to lower demand. That's kind of the idea, right? People can't get as much cheap money anymore. Therefore, they can't buy more stuff. And therefore, that will ease less supply chain issues at the ports because people are going to buy less stuff. Right. That's exactly, that's the goal is slowing up all this cheap money that's been going around and put the brakes on this economy that was, or put the brakes on the inflation. I don't believe it's their intention to hurt the economy. It's their intention to stop inflation, which is getting really out of control. Yeah, but they, they probably, we've seen a mention or like, if it goes to a recession, well, oops, like that, like they've, we've seen Powell say something similar to that, right? He did say that. He said it's, it's very likely. Yeah. But it's a it's a dose of harsh medicine. Yeah. And, you know, in the in that in that specific thinking about that, some people are going to be really scared. And there's also, you know, a ton of opportunity in that side as well. You know, depending on on where you're kind of sitting going into that situation in, in general. But yeah, I, I think that at least on the on the construction side, hopefully, you know, that that reset happens to a degree where it makes more sense. There's also one thing that's happening on the, the new builds. So a lot of new construction is halted in general. And, and what you're seeing is these contractors are out of work. So there'll, there'll be more jobs available and lower wages, even on that side with, these, with the status of these new construction, new builds that exist currently. Yeah, so I'm, I'm curious, what is your year outlook on the market in general? Where do you think we're headed? I missed the first part of your question. Where, where do you think we're headed in the next year? Where I think we're headed is, you know, a few down ticks and two years out, another uptick. In terms of real estate, I'm still waiting to see the cap rates rise, at least here in the Houston market. Sellers are still holding on to that 2021 sales price. They're a little bit unreasonable, but I do believe there's a correction coming. I don't think it's 2009 levels. I think banks were a little bit wiser than they were previously. So it's just, a, I think it's a slowdown. It's not going to be as bullish. How do you even How are you- underwrite a deal right now? I was going to ask the same exact <laughs> question. I am, I mean, quite honestly, I'm looking at, are the fundamentals solid? Bridge debt is at seven, seven and a half percent. So that's tough. And we're looking at the occupancy. Is it strong? What are the income levels, the median income in the area that we're writing? Because we believe that specific areas are going to get hit harder in the recession than others. So what is the risk profile of the property and where it's at? So specifically on that, I mean, I'm just curious, like, are you looking at deals more so with agency loans, potentially with fixed rate debt, over yeah. bridge, bridge loans, 
because I mean, you could do it either way. And then what, what are you kind of forecasting as, as even an exit cap on these deals? Cause that's really tough to, to manage everything. Obviously the, you know, cap rates in general are, are up, but maybe not up enough. I'm just curious, any, anything that specifically you're looking at on that side? Yeah. I'll think about three that we wrote offers on over the past two weeks. There was two of them were loan assumptions. So that's very attractive. Smart, yes. And I, I'm gonna be honest. I think these they're coming out a lot more. Where the creative financing is is becoming more and more attractive. Two we made offers on, they got rejected. I mean, they're still wanting the same price that they wanted quite literally a year ago in September of 21. And this last proposal we sent out this morning was for a loan assumption or new debt. And believe it or not, the new debt would be better because the the equity raise was less. But you hit the nail on the head. We're really, we prefer agency debt. Agency debt would be nice because it's, it's fixed. My, my only concern there is the prepayment penalty if, if we wanted to leave earlier, right? In three, four years, market swings and that could have an effect. Yeah. You're really seeing two scenarios that are playing out right now. Well, really three. So one is the assumption, like Jeff mentioned there, then you've got basically a 50% down payment on an agency loan of some sort. It could be variable or fixed. Maybe it's literally 50%. Sometimes there's a prep equity piece you can throw in there, but it depends if you have those kind of relationships or not to help offset that 50%. But you're seeing a lot of 50%ers right now which is crazy. And then you're also seeing the other side of that is bridge debt, but people are shying away from, from bridge debt more often than not because it's so expensive. And it's putting people in a position where they're, they're maybe a little bit more at risk with, and they have to deal with the interest rate caps, which are just completely blown out right now and create the Correct. crazy amount. So it's just overall, Correct. it's more expensive to go in and do a bridge deal where I'm seeing people compete on deals right now, you know, they're they're really a lot of people are competing going in with the agency, and sellers still haven't really come off their prices that much. Like you said, they they haven't really realized, hey, this is over necessarily and in bulk. So, you know, we'll see how that shifts in the next year. But it's it's always good to hear a perspective as to what other people are seeing out there as far as how they're underwriting deals and how they're, how they're approaching it. We don't pursue heavy lift value add. I don't have the infrastructure to do that. I'm curious how those projects are being underwritten right now. The value add. So you guys don't do value. Heavy add, lift, but, oh, heavy, heavy lift, lift value add. You know, um, I've seen some of those. And, are you talking about like super vacant deals? Super vacant. Yeah. Just run down. I mean, that's, it's going to have a 60% equity. Rights. No, like if you're selling a deal right now, your your deal has to be pretty much over 90% occupancy right? so that it qualifies for agency or else you're not really getting a deal done. And also you're not seeing deals happen as often in the worst areas of the market because right. it's just not as favorable in general. There's too many headwinds on that side. And so I think, I think that, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff you're seeing, it's like better areas, better products, in better locations mm-hmm. with higher occupancy. Those are the things that are trading right now because just overall sales volume is down. Mm-hmm. 
yep. a ton with where we're sitting right now. And it's not going to be normalized until the, the rates stop going up. I mean, you're just, it's, it's crazy time. I, I'd, I would say right now it's probably worse than when COVID started and depending on where, when this episode airs, obviously, but right now it's to transact. It's, it's just brutal in, in that form. Yeah. There's a, there's several deals that just get blown up specifically because of the debt that, you know, you would think it'd be a, a fairly, uh, just a fair deal. But when you plug in the debt, it is not, and it does not work. Yep. Jeff, man, so great to talk to yeah. you. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on the show. How can people get a hold of you if they need, then you want to reach out? Yeah, for sure. We have a white paper on why we like my multifamily and it's multifamilyadvice.com. Just go to multifamilyadvice.com, put in your email, download that white paper, and you'll have all the information you need on getting in touch with me. I'll shoot you a quick email. I would love to talk to you, even about single family one, but we're wholly invested in and commercial real estate and the multifamily space as, as a whole here in Texas. Awesome, Jeff. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Well, I thought it was really cool to kind of get a behind the scenes look at what was going on with container uh, containers and container prices. And, and, and to one extent, I'm relieved that he sees that there's some normalization on at least the logistics signs of things. So I thought that was very encouraging. Yeah. I think this has been a big pain point in general for, for everyone. And if you're in our business, your tip, unless you're not doing any kind of value add, you have to deal with this type of situation all the time, you know, nonstop. Oh, we're, we're out of, you know, this, the faucets, we can't get cabinets. There's always something new popping up and it's, it's a large stressor on the engine just in general. And so just to know that there's some kind of a relief on the horizon around this, I think is, is really fantastic in, in general. I didn't really know the background is you hear all kinds of things, you know, Oh, Canada's just holding on to their, their milling because they want to charge us more. Like there, there's all kinds of theories out there, but what he said actually made a lot of sense. And it's, it's just, it's going to take some time. Like he said, six to 12 months for it to completely clear out. But I'll tell you what, I cannot wait for that day. And, you know, I think, I think just the, the drop in costs, I mean, alone, that's, that's just going to help a ton. Now, the, the, the thing I'm curious about that I don't understand a hundred percent yet is, is what's going to happen with the labor, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, it just highlights the fact that there's so many complicating combining factors that make up inflation and logistical supply chain is an example of that, is a component of that. But there's other things like labor, for example, cheap money, uh, which fuels demand and other things that are literally just all just this giant inflation soup that's happening. And we, we can try to guess and I surely will try to see what's happening. But at the end of the day, you just don't know. And like I said earlier in the intro, what we can do is basically try to anticipate what's coming, build in enough margins for error to accommodate various different scenarios. And really, that's that's the best you can do. And so far, that has served us very well. That's allowed us to navigate kind of the ups and downs over the, over the several years. And we're going to do the same thing as well. So we're looking for opportunity right now. 
We're still trying to get our debt down, get that debt right. And, and like we said earlier in the, in the conversation with Jeff is that sellers still have expectations from a year ago sometimes or even from earlier in the year. And the debt right now is not the same. We saw the same, same thing in COVID. So it's just a matter for it to normalize a little bit. And I do believe that once the Fed stops raising interest rates, probably end of the year, even if it's 4%, the, the, just a simple act of not raising interest rates will allow the markets to stabilize at whatever new level. And I think that's going to open up some opportunity as well. So look forward to that. So anyway, I hope you guys, the big lesson to me is, man, stay in the game, stay flexible, adapt, and stick to your underwriting and really adapt to what's going on in the market right now. So hope you guys find it inspiring. Let's get some deals done. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.